We have had a very busy season, my wife and I. Uh, this has been one of those years that has been filled with uh, travel. And we have traveled for different events. Uh, we've had a death in the family, so we had a funeral. And we had a birth in the family, so uh, we were able to be there for that. And then we had weddings. And so we were traveling all up and down the eastern seaboard, it seemed. And uh, one of the things that uh, we went to was my high school reunion. And this is one of those big uh, reunions with a zero on the end. So it was, uh, you know, it was one of those you had to go kind of thing. I won't tell you the year, but I'll give you a hint. It was the same year that my neighbor, two caves down, invented fire. <laughs> it was actually 50 years, 50 years since I graduated high school. And one of the events that they had uh, for the high school reunion was that they uh, had built, uh, refurbished the athletic facilities, and so they gave a tour of the brand new athletic facilities. And this is in upstate New York. And uh, I enjoyed uh, going to gym, and it reminded me of a certain incident that happened uh, way back when I was in eighth grade. Now, our school, we had junior high, not middle school, and it was connected to the high school. And so the junior high uh, had their own gymnasium. And there was this one event. I, I looked forward to gym every year, but there was this one event that I looked forward to. But I didn't tell my buddies, because that would be uncool, and I'll tell, tell you why in a second. The gym was divided by a barrier wall that folded out. And on one side was the girls, and on this side was the boys. Ah, but once a year, that wall magically folded in on itself, and we got to have gym with the girls. And it was for this, for dancing. Now, I did not look forward to the dancing as much as it was this. I got to legally touch girls. <laughs> now, boys develop different than girls, don't they? I mean, you're 11 years old, and girls are still somewhat icky. And then you go through the summer vacation, and you come to school, and it's like, whoa, where did all these wonderful alien creatures come from called girls? And uh, when I say we got to legally touch, it was very innocent. It was hand here, hand here. We did the two-step and the waltz and some square dancing. Ah, but here's the thing. I knew that on the other side of that wall was a certain girl who was just lovely of face and form. And she had honey gold hair and crystal blue eyes. And I just knew, if, oh, if I could be her partner, that uh, my life would, from then on, just be golden. And uh, this is what happened. The door magically opened up. And our gym teacher says, OK, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put all the boys on one end of the gym, all the girls on the other. We want the boys to turn around, face the wall. And when I blow the whistle, all the girls will come and choose their partner. And I said, oh, this is perfect. So I maneuvered myself along the wall so I could be right directly in front of, we're going to call her Carolyn. Carolyn. Oh. And I just knew that uh, she was going to get to me first. I, and I even began to pray as my face is against the wall. Oh, Lord. Make Carolyn fleet of foot. May she be born on the wings of angels. May she fly across the gymnasium and choose me as her partner. And as I get done with that, I start thinking that, oh, wait a minute. What if she's 
not fast. Or what if she stumbles and falls? And I said, okay, I better hedge my bet. And so I said, I knew of another girl over there. Let's call her Susan. And Susan had lovely auburn hair. And she had eyes the color of espresso. And she had dimples. And she was lovely of face and form as well. And so I began to pray again. Oh, Lord, I would pray for Susan. Yes, may she be fleet of foot. May she be born on the wings of angels. And if for some reason Carolyn stumbles and falls, I would pray that, yes, Susan would get to me. And then a dreadful thought happened. There was another girl over there, and I, and I had caught her looking at me in the cafeteria during lunch, and she was not lovely of face and form. <laughs> she was of scraggly hair and gray teeth. We'll call her Bertha. And again I prayed, oh Lord, I know what she's after. Lord, may you befog her with a, an air of confusion. May she stumble, may she fall. And as soon as I get done praying that, all of a sudden the whistle blows and the whole auditorium is filled with the cacophony, of the thundering herd of 30 pairs of girl kids coming running across the gymnasium. And within seven seconds, it was all over. And I can still remember being there facing the wall and thinking, okay, when I turn around, who's going to be there? And I just knew in my heart it was going to be Bertha. <laughs> and then a strange question wiggled up into my brain, and it was this. Did I actually feel someone tap me on the shoulder? <laughs> I did not. And I opened my eyes, and I glanced down the wall, and there were two other boys that were also still facing the wall. What we didn't know is that there were more boys than there were girls, and we were the leftovers. And I can remember standing there thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not right. Something's wrong, because I, I look at those other two guys, and I said, they're the two dorks of the class. <laughs> and then it hit me. I'm a dork. Oh, this was new news to me. This was brand new news because I thought I was fairly cool. And now I realize that, no, I am not. And I look down at these other two yahoos, and they're high-fiving each other, saying, yay, we didn't get picked. And I'm going, oh, boys, this is not a good thing. <laughs> not a good thing at all. And I realize in that moment that I'm going to have to be their leader. <laughs> I am now the mayor of the city of New Dork. <laughs> And you know, when something like this happens, I mean, it's monstrous, isn't it? You're 13 years old, and it's huge. It's huge. You think that the whole universe has deflated. I, I can still remember thinking that I'm going to go home and turn on the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather, and he's going to say, this just in, Kip Richmond has been rejected by every girl in his class. Oh, he has officially been pronounced social pariah. A witness on the scene, a girl named Beulah, simply had this to say, ooh, 
as if, you know. Oh, the, the president will be addressing the situation at 8 o'clock from the Oval Office. Until then, all females are recommended to practice safe distancing. Wear your mask. Yes, this just in. Kip Richmond is a dork. Ah. By the way, thank you for laughing at my emotional pain. <laughs> you can laugh because you can relate, can't you? I think everyone in this room has experienced some kind of rejection in your life. It might not have been of that scale, but I know that there's people in here today. It might have happened during your, your school days where you tried out for a team and you didn't make it, or the cheerleading squad and you didn't make it, or you tried out for the school play and that key role you were passed over, or possibly you were that girl that never got asked to the prom, and you sat by the phone waiting for someone to call for a date, anybody, even a dork, and it never happened. Or maybe your sense of rejection happened after high school, where you began sending out applications to colleges and rejection after rejection, or trying to find a job and getting rejected after a rejection. Or maybe even you have a job now that you've been passed over, overlooked, overlooked. I have a good friend who works at a uh, premier government agency, and he's worked there for 25 years. And, uh, he had this, his ideal job came open, and he applied for it. And he says, oh, this would be, I want to close my career in this position. But he was passed over. They reached behind him and under him and, and chose a new person and placed him above him. And then to add insult to injury, they came to him and they said, hey, uh, you're the one that knows this area the best. Could you begin training him for his position? And it was like, wait a minute. You want me to train the person for the job that I applied for? You want me to train him to be my boss? He goes, yeah, if you can be a team player. Or maybe you're here and your rejection is even deeper. Maybe it was someone that you love, a mom or a dad that you just never measured up. Or they, one of them abandoned you. And you always felt like it was your fault. Or maybe it was a spouse or a fiance that, that you truly loved and they left that relation, relationship. And you felt tattered and torn because of it. Rejection. It leaves a woundedness in our soul, doesn't it? A tender spot. A tender spot. And sometimes there's micro-rejections that just pile on top one after another until you come to a place where you just say, oh, I feel like a castaway, like a disposable Dixie cup. I've been used and abused and thrown aside. Well, here's the good news, somewhat. 
Jesus himself was profoundly rejected. I'm always amazed at how Jesus comes into uh, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and there is celebration, and there's pomps and reverie that's taking place all around him. And then only days later, that same crowd turns on him. Turns on him to the point where Pilate comes and he sets two people in front of the crowd and says, okay, here's a guy who is a rebellious murderer and a thief. And here is Jesus, who is completely innocent, who only came with a message of peace and love and hope. Which one do you want? And it says in Luke that the crowd roared, crucify him, crucify him. Profoundly rejected. I, I believe that because of that, he has an affinity for those of us who have experienced rejection. He knows the pain of it. However, however, Jesus was chosen by God. Let's look in uh, 1 Peter, if you've got your Bibles, chapter 2. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. It says this. This is how Peter talks about Jesus. He says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but was chosen by God for great honor. Now, there's two things I want you to make note here. Number one, God is building a temple. He's building a habitation for his presence. The second thing I want you to make note of is that he picks and chooses that which the world rejects. And he takes Jesus and says, this is going to be the premier building block for my temple. What is a cornerstone? Well, in ancient times, when masons went to build a structure, they would find the best stone they could to be the cornerstone. It had to be milled just right. It had to be flat. It had to be level. It had to be plumb. And it had to be strong enough because it determined the rest of the structure. All the rest of the structure was aligned to it and anything that was built upon it. And, and God says, this is my hand-picked person, Jesus Christ, to be the premier building block. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Peter reaches back into the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 28, verse 16, he says this, uh, the prophet Isaiah writes this, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on, and whoever believes need never be shaken. Could we take that phrase, whoever believes need never be shaken, let's put some brackets around that and put it on the shelf for just a few minutes because we'll be coming back to that. Coming back to 1 Peter in uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he actually goes back and he quotes that uh, in his language uh, in uh, verse 6. As the scriptures say, 
I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Again, that last phrase. Could we take that last phrase? Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Let's take that and put it on the shelf. We will come and visit it. So here we see God is building a spiritual temple, a dwelling place for his presence, and he handpicks a living stone, Jesus Christ, to be the premier building block on which he's building. But he doesn't stop there. Going back up to verse 5 in your Bible, uh, in 1 Peter, he says this, And you, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. This is what God is doing. He's picked the very first one, handpicked Christ, and put him in place, but he doesn't stop there. He's building a structure. And so he's going through history and humanity, and he is hand-choosing, hand-picking those that he wants to be part of this uh, temple that he is building. Paul explains this in depth when he writes to the Ephesian church. Paul goes and he, he explains that God... Uh, back in history, he took the Jewish nation and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do and all the, the prophets and the law and everything that had to do with uh, what God was doing through, through the universe and even Isaiah the prophet that we just quoted earlier. And then he, come, uh, he, he works with the Jewish nation all the way up to the cross and he says, okay, now something wonderful is going to happen. Not only are the Jews going to be part of this temple, but he is now inviting those that are Gentiles to be a part. And Paul says, Paul, who was a Jew, says, what we're going to do is we're going to handpick Jews and handpick Gentiles, and together we're going to bring them in and we're going to place them as living stones within this temple. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Together... We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now, Jesus, the premier cornerstone, has been given all authority it says that on his last night with his guys in the upper room, uh, uh, the, uh, when he talks in um, uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, uh, he begins to explain that all this authority has been given to him. And Jesus now works in conjunction with the Father and the Holy Spirit to handpick the people that he wants to become part of this uh, a structure. In fact, I, I love how he says it to his disciples. He said, I want you to know something. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I think that for some of us, what happens is we think that we choose the Lord, you know, when, when we come to be saved, but that's not the case at all. What it is, is Jesus is choosing us to become those living stones that he wants to be joined with. What an honor that is to be handpicked uh, by the Lord. I will tell you that um, 
He doesn't use the same building material that the world uses. Look what uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, listen, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerful to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. I don't know about you, but when I read those words, uh, I check several of those boxes right there. Not wise, not powerful, not wealthy. That's the kind of building material God's looking for. How about that one, that one line that says, God chose things despised by the world. Have you ever felt despised? that wound of rejection that we live with. Yet God's eyes are over history and humanity right now choosing uh, his hand-picked living stones. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 8 then tells us that uh, what is going to happen is when God chooses you, he puts you through a process that's really precious. Listen to this. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him, and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What a precious process that is. Jesus combing, combing humanity. And he says, okay, I pick that one. I pick that one. I pick that one. And then what does he do? He calls them and he brings them to himself. He says it calls them to himself. We didn't choose him. He chose you. He chose you. And then what does he do? He makes you right. How? Through the cross. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he makes you righteous. Then know what he does? He takes you as a living stone. He sets you in front of him, and he says, okay, we're going to take out the hammer and chisel. We're going to do some work. We're going to knock off some corners. We're going to fix some bad attitudes. We're going to be, help you become transformed. Like it says in this scripture, you're going to become like his son. But it's for good because he takes you, places you into the temple that he's building so that his glory can fill up and we can be participants of the presence of God. Oh, what a wonderful thing. To have a place of honor in the presence of the living God. So here's the question of the day. How do we know that we have been chosen? 
I know that right now there is someone sitting here that say it couldn't possibly be me. You have experienced so many rejections in your life and you think in your mind that people have rejected me. How can the most premier person in the universe choose me? Ah, but remember, God doesn't use the same criteria of the world. It is not based on how strong you are, how athletic you are. It is not based on your beauty or your handsomeness. It is not based on your race, your skin color, your ethnicity. It is not based on whether you were born into a powerful family, a good family, or bad family. No, God looks at the heart. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's take those, uh, those phrases off the shelf so that we can understand how God handpicks us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 6, he says this, as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Let's take that off the shelf and put it in front of us. Anyone who what? Trusts in him will never be disgraced. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that you are chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, I, I can't wrap my mind around that uh, completely, but I think I have a glimmer of what that means. God is infinite. God is eternal. And so he sees everything from the beginning to the end. He's not in time. He's out of time. He can see down from the beginning to the end, and he knows. It's like a film strip laid out in front of him, and he knows when he knows when you say, you want to know something? I trust in the cross. I trust in that cornerstone. And there's a spark that happens on that film strip, and, it, and, and God says, I choose that. That little spark that says, I believe. Hebrews 11 gives us a clue. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But those that come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. The spark on your timeline where you suddenly say, I believe in the cross. Listen to what he says. He says, yes, in verse 7, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But listen to this verse. You chosen of God, listen. But you, you are not like that. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. He chooses, he calls, he makes right, and fills you with glory. 
As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity, now you are God's people, handpicked. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. God's mercy. I would like to uh, address the issue of rejection. I think God would love to right now reach down and touch the woundedness. When I was talking about it early, I know that things came to your mind. I would much rather be rejected by 30 high school girls than having to be handpicked by God. There's healing in that. If we were to continue to read in 1 Peter, Peter again reaches back and uses a prophecy that says, by your stripes, Christ's stripes, you have been healed. Meaning that when Christ received the ultimate rejection, when they laid him down and began to whip him, those stripes, blood coming off of his back, something of healing took place for you and me. And Peter goes on, you have come to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. And he connects the healing of the stripes with the healing of our souls. Can we all stand? If you flip back in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says this. And he, he addresses trust. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. Let's close our eyes. Let's put our trust in the cornerstone, the chosen of God. Let's put our focus on the cross and the healing stripes. Could we for a minute just stop and say, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. I feel inadequate. I feel discarded by the world, but Lord, for some reason you have chosen to bring me into your habitation. I give you the woundedness of my Rejection. Psalm 103 says, You have crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercies. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Matthew 12. It's, it's describing Jesus and it says this, that a bruised reed he will not break. And a flickering candle he will not put out. Jesus knows how to deal with our woundedness. And he does so in a gentle way.
I know it's after Thanksgiving, but with our heads bowed, could we begin to just say thank you, Lord, for choosing me for this great honor of being a living stone in your place of habitation. Begin to thank him right now. Thank you, Lord.